0: Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, Today, I want to go into a part two of The Tempest by Shakespeare. Now, I want to rehash a little bit of what we talked about in the last episode that we talked about Shakespeare. Uh, You know, we focused in that episode on the uh, aspects of colonialism and on the feminist aspects. Now, in colonialism, we talked about how this was sort of at the beginning of the British colonial period, and you kind of have... Um, almost a pre-analysis of what uh, the British Empire would become because this again is very early on in the British Empire but they did have you know Shakespeare would have had stories from the Spanish Empire and the Portuguese Empire uh, in order to kind of fill in some of this Uh, and you could definitely spend you know several hundred pages, uh, you know, just talking about that aspect of Shakespeare uh, in The Tempest. You could also spend hundreds of pages talking about, you know, the position of, of women in the play, but also in society at the time and in comparison to women today. But one of the things that I want to go into today is I want to go in a little bit different direction. Um, because this is a a play and a work that sort of in many ways is uh, ahead of its time. And one of the other ways that it's ahead of its time is that this can be seen as an early version of what's known as metafiction. Now, metafiction is a type of fiction where the characters are somewhat aware of the fact that they're in a story and they're telling you about things, and they're, they kind of have this awareness that, hey, there's a story going on. You're reading this story or watching this story, and I'm telling it to you. And there are elements of this in The Tempest. You know, Prospero is kind of set up from a meta uh, fiction perspective as being representing the author you know, everything revolves around what Prospero wants. He's the one who sets up the near shipwreck. He's the one who makes sure that, you know, Fernando and Miranda get together. He's the one that makes sure, you know, the people that are plotting are punished. Uh, And this is very much, you know, done uh, in a way that you kind of get a sense that shakespeare is also talking about himself as a writer because the writer of the play the writer of the fiction is the one that forces all of these situations they create situations they create characters they force the characters into these situations through magic while the magic is you know the imagination but this also goes back to earlier Um, ideas that Shakespeare would have been familiar with, you know, coming out of ancient Greek and Roman writings. um, Again, this is the Renaissance, where the um, ancient Greek writers had the belief that the muses were what inspired the writing, you know, that the writing was occurring because the muses inspired the poets to do it. And so you do have this kind of connection to this Uh, ancient tradition of the muses but you also have a tradition that's kind of looking forward into the modern era and to the modern era I mean very recently into the modern era you know a lot of literature stays away from that um, drawing attention to the fact that this is a story you know even though you have first person narrators often uh, from the romantic period forward telling their own stories these first person narrators uh, sort of set it up that you try to, they try to make you believe that they're actually that character. Um, they're, they're actually that person that's telling you the story. You know, they don't come out and say, I'm just a made up person and you're reading a made up story. You know, they kind of keep that, um, Suspension of disbelief going and this is one of the reasons that you should never conflate the character with the author in most stories because the character uh, is or the narrator and the author I should say the narrator is who is telling the story the voice that the story is being told through the author is the physical person who actually writes the book. Um, you have, you know, male authors with female narratives and vice versa. You have, you know, authors who are, their narrators are gods or demons or, you know, all ki- all kinds of supernatural creatures, kings, uh, princes, princesses, uh, all kinds of things that the author is not. So there's always been this sort of um, need to separate the author from the work uh, of the narrator, the work of the author from the narrator. Now, they are not the same person. Now when you get into metafiction this starts to get blended. Because the narrator starts to make you aware of, yeah, I'm the one controlling all of this. I'm the one making this stuff happen. Uh, And, you know, sometimes there'll be an unusual turn, and then, you know, the narrator will come out and say, well, I didn't expect that to happen. That was kind of interesting. Uh, One example uh, of a short story of this that's more contemporary is a short story called The Magic Poker by Robert Coover. Now, in this story, you know, the story starts out, I create the island, I populate it with people, you know, and he he's telling you that everything that is on this island, everything you're learning about is there because he put it there. And there's a lot of similarities to the way he describes this island to the way that things are described scene-wise and character-wise in The Tempest. It's definitely a short story that if you can find it, uh, I would highly recommend. Go back and read The Tempest and go read um, Coover's uh, The Magic Poker because you're going to see, you know, echoes as, as Coover is talking of, this, this, this kind of almost sounds like, you know, it could be Shakespeare talking about him making The Tempest, the island of The Tempest. Now another one that isn't as obscure to most people that most people would probably be familiar with uh, today is the uh, comic book character of Deadpool. Uh, Deadpool is very much a metafiction. Uh, Deadpool constantly breaks the fourth wall and addresses the audience. Uh, And not only addresses the audience, but addresses the audience in ways that you know he's telling you you know, hey, I'm inside the story and I'm talking to you from inside the story, look at this. So it's it's a place where the line between the author and the narrator sort of starts to break down. Uh, it's also an, uh, the idea that the line between fiction and reality breaks down. And this is one of the important traits of metafiction because this is one of the things that metafiction wants to bring attention to you know, when it comes to real life, what is reality? What is fiction? You know, how much of our reality that we think is real are, is simply fictions that we choose to live by? And if these are simply fictions that we choose to live by, how much control do we have over that? Can we create new fictions? Can we create better fictions? Um, can we create fictions that are more livable? So this is, you know, one of the areas where philosophy and literature have really got a lot of overlap. And and you'll see as you go through, um, you know, the history of both disciplines, and I'll try to bring those together more uh, when I do the lectures, um, is that you really can't completely separate the fields because literature is always based on philosophies. And philosophers are often inspired by literatures. And there is sort of this sense of, you know, how much of reality is the way we perceive it to be and how much of reality is the way it is because this is what we choose for it to be. So as you're reading these uh, metafictions, um, this is one of the things that the authors are bringing attention to. And they're doing it for the purpose of social critique, social criticism. You know, think about the... Um, elements of Shakespeare's Tempest that I talked about last time, how these are sort of, you know, talking about colonialism, and some of the things they're saying are not painting it as the wonderful thing that the society would have wanted to have painted it at. You know, you see Caliban very much feeling like he's abused. You see Ariel very much feeling like he's being abused and being cheated. Uh, And so while you have a story that's, Taking place about mainstream society at the time and about mainstream values, <clears throat> you also have on top of that a criticism of that society, a criticism of that value. And great writing will generally do that. You know, great writing um, will look at the time period that it's in, and usually not be one hundred percent of a cheerleader and say "Hooray for us, we're perfect." Um, I I would always tell my students. When they ask me, you know, why don't we read happier stories? Why don't we read happier books? And I would tell them that, you know, happy people don't write books. Happy people go to the beach. They go to the park. They have a good time. Um, Writers are very much people who are dissatisfied with reality. They see the potentials of reality. They want to reshape reality into something that is more livable, more human, something that can be, you know, uh, a better place for the author and for everyone else. I know this may sound odd and corny to people because some writings involve, you know, discussions of very brutal things in society. Uh, But those writings are generally not saying, yay, these these brutal things are wonderful. These writings are generally saying, why are we putting up with this? Why do we keep doing these things over and over again? It's to kind of get you to look at them. Because in day-to-day living, we tend not to look at the world. We tend to grab onto whatever fiction uh, we've been handed and move along with it and, and assume that everything is that way. But writers are people who look at the world and say, this is, this is fiction. And if this fiction isn't quite working, we do have the ability to create. We do have the ability to do something new. Now one of the things that a lot of twentieth century philosophers have talked about, especially later twentieth century philosophers uh is the fact that uh so much of our reality now, especially in the digital age, is shaped by the media. You know how much of what you want, how much of what you see as uh what is the definition of success comes from the media. It comes from movies. It comes from television shows. It comes from commercials. You know, why do you have to have a particular pair of shoes? How is that going to change your life for the better or for the worse? Um, You know, why do you have to look a certain way? Why do you have to hold certain values? And one of the things that these philosophers have have been bringing to the attention is that most people kind of get fed these uh, ideas over and over again. They get fed these images over and over again, and then eventually they just decide not to question it. And this is becomes internalized, and people think of it as their own value. You know, they see I have to own this one particular item that will help define me as a person. Uh, I have to look a certain way. This is what will define me as a person. I have to have a certain level of income. I have to have a certain amount of you know, savings, my house has to be a certain size. You know, all of these things are fictions that are thrown at us and fictions that most people just accept without uh, questioning them too much. And it probably wouldn't be a bad thing if these fictions were things that made us happy. The opposite is generally true, though. These are fictions that tend to make us bitterly unhappy. These are fictions that make us tend to feel like we're always a failure. We can never do anything, and so this kind of looking that the that uh, that metafiction does, as you know, looking at the process of fiction and how it's done and how it's created and you know how this is all sort of the output of the author's mind, is in another way echoing society and saying you're doing this already this is this is what your life is is doing you are taking fictions you are creating fictions and these are created fictions which means you do have the ability to change these things you do have the ability to write uh, yourself different ending you do have the ability to write yourself uh, into uh, different goals and different ambitions Uh, You don't have to be defined by the story you're in. You do have the ability to step back. Now, a lot of the philosophers uh, talk about the fact that most people choose not to do that. But again, philosophers and literary writers are often people that stand reality on its head and twist it in different directions just so you can get a different perspective and maybe move things in a way that will work better. Okay, I'm going to break off this episode for now. I hope all of you are doing well, and I hope all of you are staying safe. Have a good night.